0: By Muskoka for Muskoka, your collection of Muskoka-based talk shows. Muskoka Magazine, The Bay, 88.7. Brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Visit DairyLaneDental.com. Oh, M-G. I have an idea. You have an idea? We are not-so-straight talk. Geriatric, and this is Not So Straight Talk. Be like a pigeon, resilient and scrappy. Sorry like an eagle, to be happy. Pigeons don't bother with closed doors. Take off, and the world is yours. And up. up. I'm Lady Raven, and this is Not So Straight Talk. out fighting for what is a to bring light in the dark and be the flame which starts with a spark hi pigeon welcome to another episode of not so straight talk on hunters bay radio and MuskokaRadio.com. we're so excited to join you today from the lovely huntsville area So today, as you know, we always invite our political leaders to come on the show and talk about different things. And today we have the pleasure of Mike
1: Schreiner from the Ontario Green Party. Hello, Pigeon. How are you? Hey, Geriatric. I'm doing well. Thanks for inviting me to be a part of the program today.
0: Well, I think it's very exciting. I think the Greens made a lot of progress in this election, don't you think?
1: Yeah, you know, I think one of the outcomes of this election is the Green Party's here to stay, uh, being re-elected. In Guelph, uh, you know, there were some who said we'd be a one time wonder, and, and that, that's certainly not the case. And then obviously, uh, we were the, of the four major parties, we were the only party that actually saw our vote share total go up uh, in terms of total votes. And then obviously in Sound Muskoka, We came a close second and I think, you know, ran a really strong campaign. Uh, Matt Richter, uh, very strong local candidate, of course. And, you know, we didn't quite get it over the finish line. And I think we've learned some lessons around, you know, some things we could have done better, uh, particularly in responding to, to uh, a, a lot of negative attacks, some of them not being very accurate over the last five or six days of the election, and you know, I think we can do a better job of responding uh, in future elections, and we saw uh, some strong showings in, in a number of writings, uh, Dufferin-Kaladin, Wellington-Halton Hills, Kitchener Center, and other uh, University Rosedale. Uh, and others uh, that I think, you know, set us up well for the next election.
0: I find it actually really interesting that you're the first leader I've said, heard say, I think we can do better. <laughs> I just like to share that because I never hear anybody <laughs> else say that. So um, I think that's pretty uh, unique way of thinking. So like what, I mean, my here's a, here's a really good question. Why do you think we have such a disengagement around eligible voters right now like it's we saw it in the federal election we saw the lowest turnout in the history of ontario elections what do you think are you thinking people are just fed up or do you think they've got fatigue going on
1: i think there were a number of factors and i would say you know one of the most disturbing parts of this election was the low voter turnout i mean the ford government you know comes back with a really strong majority of seats but only 18% of eligible voters actually voted for the conservatives. Uh, and, and some of that's distortions in our electoral system. You know, one of the most powerful uh, stats I saw was that it takes about 23,000 voters to elect a conservative, And 275,000 to elect one green MPP. So, you know, the votes per member are pretty skewed. uh, And I think it raises some serious questions about our electoral system and whether, you know, a system designed, you know, 150 years ago is really relevant to a complex modern society that we live in today. And if we need to revisit things like electoral reform or proportional representation uh, to you know make sure that our parliament reflects the democratic will of voters and we ensure that voters feel uh, like their vote counts. Cause I know in urban writings, uh, there's a lot of conservative voters who say, well, why bother to vote when an NDP or liberal always win in this writing? And a lot of rural writings you have you know a number of liberal green B voters saying well this riding always goes conservative so why bother voting and then it comes down to you know a handful of suburban writings uh in the 905 that do flip you know back and forth from different parties that oftentimes determine our our elections and and so i think there's a better way of making sure that parliament reflects the democratic will of the people so i think that has something to do with it I think the pandemic obviously has something to do with it as well. Uh, I think there's a lot of voter fatigue out there. You know, it's been two tough years. You know, think of how many, you know, families have really struggled with online education, for example, how many small businesses barely hanging on uh, after, you know, so many of the closures, frontline healthcare workers being overworked, underpaid and underappreciated. There's a lot of exhaustion out there, and I think that's partly reflected in in voter turnout. And then finally, voter turnout tends to be higher when when it's quote a change election, and uh, a number of um, members of the electorate, you know, want to see a new government, and they're highly motivated to get out and vote and 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 see a new government. And you know, I don't, you know, this this there wasn't a strong appetite. And a, and a lot of anger being directed uh, by enough people, certainly by some people uh, at, at the current government. And then related to that was the media narrative throughout the entire media, uh, out the entire campaign, the media just kept saying, the conservatives are going to win, the conservatives are going to win, the conservatives are going to win. And it was almost as if it was a done deal. And and you know, I don't think that type of horse race coverage uh, serves the public well. I, I know that You know, that's the approach that, you know, members of the media often take. And, you know, that's their prerogative. Like, you know, like we're certainly, you know, should not and and will not, you know, advise them on how to cover elections. But the horse race aspect of it, I think, tends to um, discourage voter turnout as well.
0: It's interesting you bring that up about media. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um as you know mike you were the first one when uh the prides of ontario came together you were the first one to say um i'm in if we're doing a leaders debate and you were you were adamant that it was important to be there um why do you think the other leaders are not so inclined to do that when it comes to like community-led debates it seems like every other party was avoiding that
1: yeah yeah you know i i think putting your ideas in front of the people of this province, and letting them know where you stand on the issues and what you're going to do to improve their lives uh, is vitally important to a democracy. And so I think we need more debates, not less debates. Uh, I think voters have a right to know where politicians stand on the issues. And so I was deeply disappointed that none of the other leaders agreed to the Pride debate. Uh, I mean, there was a pride debate, but not with leaders. And obviously, if the leaders had participated, it'd be much higher profile. Um, I was deeply disappointed that when Operation Black Vote held held a, a leaders debate, um, you know, the conservative leader did not show up for it. The Equal Pay Coalition hosted a leaders debate. Conservative leader did not show up for it. And in many of the... Um, local writing level debates, the conservative candidates were told not to attend. And so even in my own writing, um, the conservative candidate is, you know, somebody I disagree with on on political issues, but respect as, you know, uh, um, somebody who does a lot for our community here in Guelph, was told not to participate in any of the debates. And we saw that in writings all across the province. And, you know, I mean, I, I recognize that a political party has you know the right to make those decisions like you know i i you know i can't tell them they can't make those decisions obviously but i think it does a real disservice to our democracy and i think people deserve better and and i think um that did affect voter turnout
0: it, it seems like even the media role in all this was like uh you know we've put you on our tv shows and we've put you in our in our drama shows, but. Okay, it's important now, so you just sit over there and be quiet <laughs> and and we'll get back to you after the election. It was like it was really it was extremely frustrating for all the prides too, because we were we ended up meeting afterwards and reevaluating our relationship with some of our people that we work with because it's like you just basically told us to sit down and shut up. So yeah, unfortunately.
1: Perfect. Yeah, no, I, I think it's just a really unfortunate situation, and you know, some of that too is uh, is the is the um, hollowing out of media as well. Like you're you're starting, we're in a real transition with when it comes to media. A lot of the legacy media organizations have you know significantly reduced staff, uh, and so that affects their ability to cover. You know a wide range of issues in communities and in politics, and in the provincial election, of course. And you have a lot of upstart new media organizations forming, which I'm really excited about, uh, that are community or issue focused, but but they haven't quite reached a scale of legacy media. And so I think we're in this like transition space in media, which I don't know. I'm not a I'm not a media you know, expert, but, but, but it, it certainly affects the ability of media to cover campaigns. And, you know, our campaign, we tried to accommodate that as best as possible. And, and I, I, you know, to credit, uh, I believe the Liberals and NDP did the same of trying to do a lot of um, media announcements and media availabilities where there would be on the ground media asking us questions, and then we'd be live streaming it and taking questions from media um, via via, you know, in our case, we were using Zoom as our platform uh, to try to you know make ourselves more accessible, answer the tough questions. and and you know, because I feel like the the public, you know, it it benefits democracy and the public for politicians to be, Forced to answer questions and for you know there to be clarity on, on policy positions. And and so you know, we tried to do that. I think the conservatives did a lot less of that. I mean, there were a lot of days that you know people didn't even know um what, what Doug Ford's schedule was, and so I think that, that's unfortunate, but You know, every campaign makes different strategic decisions and and, you know, uh, the the Conservative Party, for whatever reason, really decided that um, they weren't going to um, be as available to be held accountable on where they stand on the issues.
0: Well, on that note, Mike, we're going to take a quick break so our sponsors can get their little uh, message out there. So we'll be right back on Hunters Bay Radio and MuskokaRadio.com on Not So Street Talk with Geriatric, I think I almost forgot my name, and Mike Schreiner from the Ontario Green Party. By Muskoka for Muskoka, your collection of Muskoka-based talk shows. Muskoka Magazine, The Bay 88.7. Brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years visit dairylanedental.com welcome back to another episode of not so straight talk right after the break and thanks to those sponsors for being so sponsorish that's without wine i said that (laughs) and we're here talking to mike schreiner the leader of the ontario green party and we really appreciate him taking the time and remember pigeon never be afraid to ask questions of your politicians it's really important mike Why don't you tell us a little bit about, your? the Green Party is very inclusive around candidates and making sure that they have good representation from the the communities across that. How do you go about that, making sure that you do do that?
1: Yeah, so we were really proud. I felt we had an incredibly strong uh, slate of candidates in every riding in the province and uh, a very diverse uh, group of candidates as well. Um, Over 75% of our candidates would identify as coming from uh, equity deserving uh, groups within society. So whether that's based on gender or identity, um, uh, you know, indigenous, uh, black people of color, uh, various abilities, et cetera. uh, Because I think it's important that... um, you know, all parts of our society uh, feel represented by a political party and by the slate of candidates that party's putting forward. And so I think we were able to ch- achieve that really by doing a lot of hard work with our writing association. So each each writing in the province has as a local writing association that does the work of, you know, helping recruit candidates. Uh, we have a vetting process. Uh, so we want to make sure those candidates are qualified and haven't said things that you know, would embarrass the party or, or just not represent the party's values. And then the local writing association makes the final determination uh, on who the candidate will be. Uh, one of the things that really separates the Ontario Greens from other parties is that uh, writing associations can vote for none of the above. So even if there's only one person running uh, for the nomination, uh, if the local grassroots members of the party don't support that person, then they have the opportunity to say, no, we, we don't want you. Uh, and, and it has happened, I think, once in the party's history. So it's, it's you know, it certainly is a tool that's available. And, and I think the reason I say that is it's I think it's really important for central parties to do the, the hard work of working with writing associations, having organizers in place, vetting candidates, but also, not having it so top down that the leader can just say, Hey, you're the candidate. And, and you know, local writing association, if you don't like it, tough luck. And, and so I think that sort of bottom up, grassroots, uh, locally focused politics is really important to, you know, the Green Party's values and the, and the history of the party. And, and we try to live those values through the way in which we select candidates.
0: Yeah, I bit my tongue there. <laughs> When you said about them just saying this will be your candidate, (laughs) because I do know a few parties have done that.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: (laughs) So what do you think is going to happen moving forward? Like you are the single Green Party MPP in Queen's Park. You're you're pretty loud in Queen's Park. I do know that. Um, But like, how do you how do you get things done? I mean, that's that's it's got to be tough.
1: Yeah, it is, it's a tough balancing act. And so, I have two approaches. So, one is, um, you know, I, I believe in working across party lines when it's appropriate uh, in order to get things done. And, and so, you know, where I can agree with and work with members of other political parties, I will absolutely do that. At the same time, I also have an important role as an opposition member to hold government accountable. And and so I will have you know a loud, proud voice when it comes to doing that. Uh, but my approach to doing it is to not attack people personally, but to really focus on the issues and to mobilize people around around you know issues and the kind of Ontario they want to live in, and to ensure that the political decisions being made at Queens Park uh, reflect that. And part of doing that is you know really trying to work with engaging and mobilizing people on the ground uh, to speak out on the issues that they're really worried about or concerned about, and then to make sure I amplify those voices at Queen's Park. And I think particularly right now, there, there are three key issue areas. So one is, you know, addressing the climate emergency. I, I mean, we've, we're seeing it just, even during the rip period in the month of May, you know, we have flooding in Northwestern Ontario, the you know uh, extreme storm that tore through southern Ontario and particularly did significant damage in Uxbridge and the Ottawa region. Uh, and then extreme heat days uh, that you know, really negatively affect you know, people's quality of life. And in some cases, we saw with the extreme heat in British Columbia last summer, you know, over 600 people died. Uh, and so as we have these you know, extreme weather events, we're going to have to address the climate emergency and make sure that the province is climate ready. And so a lot of people are deeply concerned about particularly the sprawl agenda of the Ford government. So mobilizing people against that and to stop that. And then related to that is addressing the affordability crisis, especially when it comes to housing affordability. Uh, the, it's just making it you know, very difficult or impossible for a whole generation of young people especially to wonder if they'll ever be able to have an affordable place to call home uh, and to even buy a home and 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 so making sure we address that and also related to affordability is ensuring that the most vulnerable uh in in our communities in our province you know are not forced to live in legislative poverty which is why i've been really strongly calling for doubling of um, social assistance rates, Ontario Disability Support, Ontario Works. Um, you know, people on disability are being forced to live on $1,100 a month. I mean, you can't even find an apartment to rent for $1,100 in pretty much almost every uh, community in Ontario, let alone be able to pay y- your other expenses and put food on the table. Uh, and, th- and then the final one for me is just really respecting our frontline healthcare workers um, and repealing the bill that puts wage restraint in place uh, that is contributing to this health human resource crisis that we're facing in Ontario, which directly affects the patient care, the care you receive in hospital or in long-term care, or you know at your, your doctor's office. And so ensuring that frontline healthcare workers you know, are able to negotiate fair wages and fair benefits and better working conditions, which directly affects the quality of health care that you receive in your communities.
0: Yes. <laughs> That's all <laughs> I can say to that. <laughs> um, Mike, you you had your first term. What what's what what's kind of one of your takeaways from your first term that you kind of learned that you you wanna improve on or do better with?
1: You know, I think so. One thing I've learned is, and again, it gets back to this, um, working across party lines. If you're willing to work across party lines and build relationships, both with government members and members of the other opposition parties, you can get things done. And so I want to continue to build on that uh, and, and, you know, to get some things done, especially around some of the key issues that I've identified and also to make sure that my constituents here in Guelph are served well. I think, you know, one of the things that I think is really important, and it doesn't matter which party you represent, is to have a strong local MPP who are advocating for their community and their constituents and, and so I think there's a lot that you can accomplish doing that kind of work that is really important in improving people's lives. And then one thing I think I, I'm going to have to do more of uh, in the next four years that I did in the last four years, but it's this mobilization of, you know, community members to really push back on some of the mo- worst excesses of the, of the Ford government. And so, you know, I helped lead the charge to... You know remove schedules of legislation that would have opened the green Belt up for development uh, and also uh, against building an amazon warehouse on the Duffins creek wetlands in the eastern um, greater toronto area and, and so one of the things that taught me was that if you're able to mobilize enough citizens in opposition uh, and amplify you know those voices in the legislature you can put pressure on this government to have them back off on maybe some of their worst ideas. And I think when it comes to paving over our farmland that, that feeds us and the, the wetlands that clean our drinking water and protect us from flooding and the nature that just helps um, reduce the severity of these extreme weather events we're facing, uh, that's gonna be like just vitally important over the next four years and and so learning from what what worked and didn't work over the last 4 years and applying those lessons to the next 4 years i think is going to be really important
0: well mike it's amazing how fast the time goes isn't it
1: <laughs> yeah i hear you <laughs> yeah.
0: is it is there anything you want to say to the folks that listen to the show that just kind of sticks out in your mind and you know that you've always wanted to say but you just never had the opportunity
1: Well, you know, I would say to people, like, um, get engaged in politics in your community. Speak out on the issues that you care about. Make sure government uh, is making decisions that improve your life. Uh, You know, the fact that, you know, we have a majority government that only 18% of eligible voters actually voted for. Um, tells me that you know 82% of ontarians um, you know may have a different uh perspective on things and and so don't hesitate to speak out uh put pressure on you know both the premier's office relevant ministers offices and your local mpp whether your local mpp agrees with you or disagrees with you um, put pressure on them because you know, we respond uh, to what our constituents are telling us. We respond to what people across the province are saying, uh, and that's how democracy works. And so, you know, the current government, you know, clearly has a lot of power with a strong majority, but citizens and opposition MPPs and, you know, people in in the media, so, you know, utilize your radio show geriatric, to can can also have voices and can influence government and and you know that's the power of democracy and so I would really say to people that you know uh, even if you weren't inspired to vote in this election um, figure out other ways to be engaged in in the political process uh, because your voice matters and it can make a difference
0: well, the one thing I've learned, if anything, is, is it was a very good saying that I came across on Facebook, and yes, I'm not that old, so I do have it, <laughs> um, was uh, businesses create opportunities for CEOs and the few. Government is supposed to create opportunities for everyone.
1: So Absolutely.
0: I think that's the one thing we're missing <laughs> over <laughs> the last little while, Um Mike Schrenner, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show and kind of talking about this, and we'll definitely get you back again at some point, and maybe we'll do a check-in with you or something like that.
1: Sounds good. I appreciate it, and I wish all your listeners well. Well, Pigeon, it's that time again. We've made to the end of another
0: show of n- not-so-straight talk. I think that's where I am. My name is Geriatric, and I am happy to see you all, Pigeons, and make sure you take care and never underestimate your voice and who you are so you can make changes in the world that affect everybody and makes it a better place for everyone, too. Anyway, Pigeon, take care, and we'll see you next time on Not-So-Strict Talk on Hunter's Bay Radio and MuskokaRadio.com. Bye-bye, Pigeon! Please stand for human rights. Oh, that's tight. Inclusion, diversity, equality, acceptance. That's the idea. That's, that's what we're all about. Ten up.